0: Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, a.k.a. falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. Alrighty. Okay, let's get into part, well, the second installment of part two, The College Town. Of perishables. I hope y'all are doing well, by the way. Um, there are so many things reading through this that I'm like, Oh, that's a place where I've been. That's a place where I've been. That's a place where I've been. That's a person I knew. That's a person I worked for, things like that. I'm going to let you know in a little secret. Falstaff Books and I have a plan to produce an annotated omnibus edition of the Withrow Chronicles where I go through and note everywhere that is a real place and everyone who is a real person. But keep that between us. So anyway, I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, that is going to be so much fun. So let's get into part two. Well, let's get into the second installment of part two. Oh God, forget it. You know what I mean. I survived a genuinely cold winter, but we got less ice and snow than I'd ever seen south of the Mason Dixon. There's an unmarked line somewhere in the mountains, west of which it gets cold. Cold. The month of April rolled around in due time and the ground started to thaw. Kids went on spring break trips and came back rowdy and paying zero attention in classes. Professors professors grumbled about kids these days. Adjunct faculty picked up their mail and scurried off with it in case they'd gotten a better offer. The tenured types started putting the tops down on their convertible K cars. Everyone was bustling. Seniors who were just about to graduate started spending a lot of time just looking at things. Trees, shrubs the sides of buildings, like they'd never seen them before. April on a college campus is like that. Something big is about to happen. Something momentous. Everett and I were in the Mac getting dinner around the middle of the month when we both cracked up at something he'd said about his boss, Dr. Bach, I don't remember what, and I realized abruptly that we were too loud for the ambient noise in the cafeteria. We were having a big laugh, and everyone else was quiet. We looked around the room, and what I realized was that everyone was doing two things— keeping quiet and facing away from us. I followed the directions they were all facing. They were all staring at the TVs. Again, this is a developing situation on the ground in North Carolina, but we can provide some early details. There have been wide-ranging reports of attacks tonight by bands of wandering people, The offenders have been described a number of ways. Vagrants, demented, junkies, these are all words we're hearing used on police scanners, and in the reports we're picking up online and from some calls, some of our affiliates in the state have received from local viewers. There was a talking head, a newsreader, sitting there looking thoughtful in split screen opposite a guy in desert fatigue standing in the incongruously green lawn in front of a Fox station in Greensboro. So are you saying these are mass attacks? Would you call them riots? Well, John, I don't know, but that seems to fit with what we're hearing, yes. Is this terrorism related? Do you think this is terrorist activity? Again, John, I just don't know that yet, but it certainly could be. If so, they are extremely well organized and they've recruited far more combatants than I would have thought possible. Can you describe them to us? The words you said people have been using. Words like vagrant. Those strike a pretty strong chord. Are we talking about attackers dressed in rags? Are we talking about violent hobos? Well, I... The guy in the fatigues put his finger to his ear for a moment and then said, John, we're piping you some footage just received by our local affiliate. The report I'm being given indicates that this was taken by a young police officer in the town of Hickory. The video comes from this brave young man's cellular phone. This is about to be shown for the first time. The split screen faded and a blurry pixelated image taken in too much darkness filled in the screen it sat in freeze frame for a moment and then frame by trickling frame the blobs moved they were people marching they were out of step and many were limping or dragging a foot they didn't hold their arms out in front of them and none of them moaned or groaned or said anything you'd expect but they advanced painfully slowly towards the cop and the camera he called out to them, hard to understand, but closed captioning claimed he'd told them to stop and raise their hands. They didn't. Something sparked and buzzed and hissed, and I realized that he'd tried to taser the one in front, but he'd missed. Its face was hard to make out with the poor picture quality, but something, a ridiculously cliché trickle down my back, told me I didn't mind not being able to make out the face. The cop pulled a gun and shot. The person, it, Staggered again. He fired at it again. It staggered again, and it made a sound like a wheeze that was somehow much, much worse than moaning. The cop got his wits back suddenly and shot the thing in the kneecaps from maybe eight feet away. It toppled over and started dragging itself around on its elbows. The camera perspective swung wildly as the cop jumped back in his car, tossed the phone aside so we got a great image of the roof of a Crown Vic, and then trees and streetlights blurred by out the window. I surprised myself when my first thought was confusion as to why they were described as vagrants. They'd all been wearing suits and ties, or nice dresses. The screen went dark again, and then the two guys from Fox were on. That is some very impressive footage. Agreed, John. The reports we're getting do indicate that's a fairly typical representation of what's going on. From what we're hearing, they've been spotted in a handful of relatively major population centers in the western and central portions of the state, with at least one report from the coast. We won't hesitate to let you know as soon as we have any further information at all. I took some issue with describing Hickory as a major population center, but I kept it to myself. Any advice for viewers in North Carolina? Have the authorities made any statements or recommendations? Only to say to stay inside, to stay with people rather than alone, and to check before going anywhere that you have a stocked emergency kit, including any prescription medications you might need. They've said to avoid travel even if you haven't seen one of these attackers because, and I quote, wherever you are, they could get there at any time. The talking head turned back to the camera and started summarizing for anyone who just tuned in. Then he ran the footage again. Still, no one in the cafeteria spoke. We all sat in silence and watched the footage three, maybe four times in a row. The news ticker on the bottom of the screen started to show what hashtags were being seen on Twitter. Hashtag NC and hashtag NC terror, but nothing referring to the attackers themselves. People started to trickle out by that point. No one who'd come in since it had started had bothered to get food. The cashiers weren't at their stations. They were watching TV with the rest of us. Everett and I turned back to one another and he cleared his throat. Call Tim, he said. Make sure he's okay. I nodded and dug around in my backpack and came out with my shitty little free phone for my shitty little first-year staffer affordable plan. I called him and he rang three times before he picked up. "I'm I'm driving up there, he said, a little breathless. I shouldn't be talking and driving. The road... He trailed off. I still hadn't said anything they're on the roads he said his voice was tight be careful come to my office i hung up and looked at everett he's on his way he nodded and drained the last of his glass of iced tea come on he said call him back and tell him not to go to your office my office is nicer everett and i crossed campus not quite at a run We would walk really fast, and then jog a couple of steps between the wells of lamplight here and there where a light had gone out, then walk really fast again. There were students out on campus who clearly had no idea anything weird was going on anywhere in the world, but inevitably someone else would run by, and in so doing, pause to tell them some garbled version of what was at that point obvious. We had gone up the sidewalk at the side of the squat brick Carly Hammerhead Student Life Center, and cut between it and the more neoclassical Greystone Josephine White Undergraduate Library, and across the 1946 War Memorial Lawn, which everyone called the main quad, and then down between the Henry J. Swift Biological Sciences Building and the Math Department, the building where I worked, as yet unnamed because no one from any of Mount Airy's math programs was both rich and dead. Everett badged us into the bio department at the side door. We stopped at the bottom of that tall, winding stairwell with the carved and tooled hand railing and the clashing grey-brown tile floor and black tread strips on the steps. I didn't know why Everett had stopped until I realized, at the same time he made the same realization about me, we had both stopped to listen for shuffling feet. Neither of us had spoken on the way over, and that didn't change now that we were indoors. I went up the stairs face first. He followed three steps behind me, half turned to watch behind us. Halfway to the fourth floor where his office was, it occurred to me that we were kind of stupid to come to the biology department. I mean, we've all seen the movies. There were probably labs full of reanimated frogs, pissed as all hell, to find out they'd been packaged for dissection. At the door to the fourth floor, I peeked through the small window looked into the hall and didn't see anyone or anything. Everett nodded and I yanked the door open, staying behind it while he leapt through and spun around to check the walls on either side. Clear, he said, like he was a cop in an action movie. And for some reason, that did it. I started to crack up. A snort escaped me. I clamped a hand over my mouth as I fought a wicked case of giggles. Then he made a breathy, adrenaline-poison sort of guffawing noise, and four seconds later, we were both lying on the floor, laughing our full heads off. I tried to grasp the... I'm just going to start over with that. Oh my god, I can't even get out saying that I'm going to start over. Jeez, what is up with me? I promise tonight I've had no wine. <clears throat> I'm going to back up a little. A snort escaped me. I clamped a hand over my mouth as I fought a wicked case of giggles. Then he made a breathy, adrenaline poison sort of guffawing noise, and four seconds later we were both laying on the floor laughing our fool heads off. I tried to gasp the word clear back at him a couple of times, but I couldn't get out more than cluh, <laughs> cluh, before I'd have to roll onto my side and curl into a ball and laugh until I was coughing and felt like I would puke. Two minutes late, Two minutes later, we were wheezing and panting and helping each other up, and Everett had his keys in his hand. Okay, he managed. Let's have a drink. I startled at that and wiped my eyes between blinks at him. "'I keep a little something around, yes,' he whispered, "'and no damned zombies are going to stop me from having one when I need it this bad.' I laughed again, quieter but still hysterical, a couple of surprised chuckles. I'd been in Everett's office a million times, and I knew he hated the pomp and piety of Dr. Bach, the unspoken expectation that evolution would most definitely not be featured on any graded material in a given semester, all that, but I hadn't thought Everett would actually drink at work.' In some respects, it's different for tax. It's so directly the opposite of what we would do. Well, the good ones, anyway. Well, we do acid. Everyone knows that. He opened his office door and turned on the desk lamp as he walked around familiar corners in the dark. I waited for the light and slid into one of his visitor's chairs while he quickly and officially opened the bottom drawer of a filing cabinet, shifted a couple of overstuffed folders, and came out with a bottle of scotch and a glass. The bottle was mostly full, at least, so maybe it wasn't so bad to have a tipple. I caught my breath as I watched him pour. I'd started to think like these people. Christ, I hadn't even noticed, but it had seeped in somehow. That's the danger in a place like this. A prevailing attitude that everything is forbidden except what you like is easy to acquire. It's practically infectious. Everett held the glass out to me with a pretty generous pour in it and said, Cut crystal for the guests. I'll make do with a Dixie cup. He stepped into the hallway for a minute and came back with a few big red disposable cups he'd snagged from the lounge down the hall or somewhere. I waited while he poured his drink. We touched our glass and cup together in silence, and then we each downed what we had in a single go. How long before Tim gets here? Everett was looking out the window between the blinds like we were being followed. He didn't say where he was. It was the first sensible together thing I'd said since we'd been in the cafeteria, and that felt like about six hours ago despite being about fifteen minutes. I coughed suddenly and then pointed at the window. You know what that glass is? What? It's clear. Ha! I expected it to crack us up, but it didn't. Everett kept looking out for a few seconds and I sat in silence, my face still hot from the run up the stairs and the laughing and the fear. Everett turned around finally and winked at me. It reset something about the tension in the air and I breathed again. So, what do we do when he gets here? I ran my fingers through my long, sort of bland, sort of wavy, but not really, but still somehow kind of frizzy and sort of brown-black hair, and pulled it back and half-heartedly tried to twist it out of the way while I pondered a response. You have a TV? Why? We could keep an eye on the news. Oh, they're just going to keep showing that stupid cop's cell phone thing, he said, or something like it. I shrugged. Sometimes ever it could be a bitch when he'd had enough to drink. I really didn't want this one drink, okay too, to be the start of a downhill slide into cynicism in a situation where we really didn't need cynicism. I, I resolved to do two things and immediately did them. First, I announced that I needed to go to the bathroom and did so. That gave me a couple of minutes in front of a mirror, kind of checking myself out. No wounds, no scratches, no bruises, no anything. That was good, to look at myself and see myself whole, while my brain bubbled trying to understand, incorporate, and include in my concept of the world exactly what seemed to be going on out there. Second, on returning to Everett's office, I sat down and said, You used the Z word. Everett had the bottle within reach, but he hadn't lifted it to his cup again. He took his eyes off it and smiled. Well, you know. Know what? Well, that's just good shorthand. It looked more accurate than vagrant, you must admit. It isn't just shorthand. I kept my voice steady. We both know what was trying to come after that cop. He tasered it twice and shot it, what, five or six times after that? I figured Everett was also remembering the moment when the thing fell down and started crawling forward on its elbows, and that he was just as completely wigged out as I was. That's not normal. And with that, we will pause, and I will come back to Part 2, The College Town of Perishables, tomorrow night. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.